Lisa? I'm so glad you guys are all here because uh, it really would have been weird preaching just to Lisa and Jim. So <laughs> had these notions in my mind of who, if anybody was going to show up this morning. But glad you're here. Hey, we are in Acts 1-8 and um, Acts 1-1 through 8, actually. Scott has been doing the series on Jesus' last words. And this morning, these are his final words on earth. Um, so I, I'm assuming it's the end of the series. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but uh, these are the last words of Christ. Let's read them together, or I'll read them. You follow along, actually. In the first book, O Theophilus, this is written by Luke. So this is his second book. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And that's it. That's it. Jesus is gone. <laughs> and he's drifting up into the clouds, right before their very eyes. And the disciples are standing there watching him. And can you imagine what was going through their minds at the time? I mean, it's one thing to see Jesus just being lifted up into the clouds. It's another thing to have his last word saying, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And you've got to remember who these guys are. Because it wasn't very long ago, if you remember, that one of them completely denied Christ. Three times, in fact. We're talking like a couple months ago. One of them, or actually several of them, were so defeated when Christ was actually crucified. They didn't quite grasp what was going on. They were, they were discouraged, and they split. They went their own way. And one of them, if you remember, even when they came and told him that Jesus is alive, said, I still don't believe. And these are the guys that God, Jesus, just commissioned. You're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. I don't know about you, but it gives me some hope that God could use me. But I can just imagine these guys standing there just, just bewildered at everything that's going on. Almost, you know, you can just see them saying, wait, what? As, as their leader that they've just spent the last few years with is gone now. 
I, you know, I don't know what went through their mind, but can you imagine them pondering on that? You will be my witnesses. I mean, think about what they would be up against. Think about just locally what we would be up against, what they were up against, to be his witnesses for the message that Christ had. Forget about the rest of the world, but think about locally. The local people were hostile to Jesus, were they not? They didn't like Jesus. Remember when Pilate said, I'll release Jesus? And they said, no, crucify him. The mob went crazy. Crucify him. Give us Barabbas. I mean, the whole message of Jesus Christ would have threatened a lot. It would have threatened the entire Roman government. Really. The Roman government didn't think too highly of anybody that was more important than them. It would have threatened the religious order of the day, the religious uh, leaders of Jesus' time did not like Jesus. They didn't believe in the fact that he was who he said he was. I mean, think about the guys you're just rubbing shoulders with. Think about us locally in the businesses, the guys down the street that just make idols for a living. The whole message of Christ would have threatened that. In fact, it would have threatened the entire social order because back there in that day, depending on who, where you came from, who you worked for and everything, kind of determined who, determined who you were. But Christ's message now, everybody is equal. In fact, even women are now equal in the sight of God. It would have threatened all of that. And these guys are sitting there wait, what did he just say to us? And Jesus did say, wait. He said, wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you because then you will have the power of the Holy Spirit. God's timing is perfect. <laughs> That's quite a statement, isn't it? I mean, who am I to tell him it's not? <laughs> but it is. Can you imagine if these guys had been left on their own accord to go share, the, go preach the message to the entire world? If it would have been up to them. But get this. It's now Pentecost. Okay? Pentecost is, goes way back to the celebration. Um, it was originally called the, the Feast of the Weeks. And what it was is the celebration of the harvest. It was a celebration of thanking God for the harvest that was coming in. Pentecost actually just means 50. 50 days from Passover, they celebrate Pentecost. So here we are. Christ was crucified during Passover. Here we are 50 days later. They're celebrating Pentecost, Feast of the Harvest, celebration of the harvest. And the disciples and a bunch of other believers are gathered together. And they get nailed. They get nailed over and overwhelmed, empowered with the Holy Spirit. So much so that they got these little flames, tongues of flame, they say. I don't know who came up with that, what that means, but flames on their heads, and they all started talking in different languages, different dialects. And Jews, it says Jews were there from all the regions around, and so Jews are coming into Jerusalem now to celebrate the Pentecost, and they hear what's going on, and so they start gathering. I mean, this is a big deal. And the, and the Jews were wondering, why are they speaking in my language? 
Turns out that because of this, Peter stands up, gives his first sermon ever, and it says 3,000 souls were added to their number that day. He's got, he's got a pretty good, uh, man, I'd be happy with one. <laughs> 3,000 were added to, that, to their number that very day. And it didn't stop there. It says they healed a lame beggar. And that became big news. And things were happening, and people were, were jumping in on the bandwagon there. They, um, it says, uh, And awe came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So in a matter of days and weeks, thousands of people, thousands of people, heard the gospel message, responded to it, and believed. Now, tell me, tell me what advisory council, what consulting group would have ever come up with that idea. Hey, let's have them speak in a whole bunch of different languages, and then that will bring people in, and Peter will give, up a, give a great speech, and people will believe. There is no way in the world. There is no way in the world, left to their own accord, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, look what happened. The gospel message had this incredible beginning right then and there, and it spread throughout the entire world. You know, as I was reading this and going over this passage, it hit me. It hit me because something hit me that I'd never actually realized before. And... um, Because I've always looked at this passage as part of the Great Commission. It's kind of, you always look at this Acts passage and the passage in Matthew, at the very end of Matthew, as the Great Commission to go and make disciples, go and preach the word. But in the Acts um, scriptures, you never see the word go. You never see a command to go. And actually, so it got me kind of interested, so I looked up the word go went back to the Matthew Matthew passage and looked up the word go in the Greek. And it kind of caught me by surprise because there actually is no command to go in the original words of this. It has to do more with when you're on a journey, continue on in the journey, add to what you're already doing. It was not a command to go. And I kind of, huh. So I thought, I better go check out and see what wait means and wait on the Holy Spirit. And so I looked up the original. You know what it means? It means wait. That's all it said, wait. (laughs) But when I was looking at the two passages, it kind of hit me that there was no command to go. There's definitely a command to make disciples. Um, But I started looking at this passage a little different. And rather than Christ kind of giving the command of the disciples that you're going to be my witnesses now, it's almost as if he was saying, here's what's going to happen when you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you think about that, they're two different entirely concepts, two entirely different concepts. Because one of them, a command to go, kind of puts a burden on us to perform, doesn't it? It's saying, hey, you need to do that. But the other, what Jesus was really saying, I'm almost believing that Jesus was now actually giving his disciples a great encouragement rather than a command. Because what he's saying, he's foretelling what's going to happen when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you guys. 
rather than seeing it as a command for us to perform, it was a great encouragement to them to say, this is what's going to happen. You guys are going to get nailed with the Holy Spirit. And as a result, you will be my witnesses to the end of the earth. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not one of those guys that think that, oh, yeah, when you believe in Christ, you don't have to do anything. He does everything through you, you know, and you just, you know, be a spiritual zombie and Christ will do it all. No, I don't believe that at all. I mean, there are commands that we have been given. There are um, calls to obedience. There are responsibilities that we have um, when we make a decision to follow Christ. But think about the difference here in this particular context between a command for you to go and perform and look what's going to happen when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Isn't that cool, though? (laughs) You know, spring is the time of the year when I burn the ditches in my hay fields. And um, it's kind of cool that I got it done before the snow this year. But normally what happens is uh, when I cut my hay fields, you can't cut right up against the ditches. And so you have this tall grass that's there, and it falls down and gets all matted up, and it it's, makes it hard for the water to flow through the ditches. It makes it hard for you to get the water out and put it where you want it. And so you cut, you burn the ditches in the spring because the grass that you did cut last year is real short right now, and it's turning green, and it's got a lot of moisture in it. And so when the flames hit it, it goes out, usually. <laughs> That's normally the case. However, a few years ago, that wasn't the case for me. And Abby still gives me grief for this. But uh, I went to burn a ditch, and I, I had my truck parked, you know, a few hundred yards away with 300 gallons of water in it just in case. And I dropped a match in the grass, and all of a sudden, it just started burning in a circle. And I'm out there with my shovel and my heels running around in a circle trying to put this fire out, and it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And when it got to be 100, I don't know, 100 feet in diameter, I'm going, ah, and I had to call the fire department. And the fire department came, and about 40, 50 acres later, they had it out. (laughs) But think about it. There was absolutely no way in the world that I was going to put that fire out with my shovel. And the fire department, three minutes away, had everything that was needed to take care of it. They had the manpower. They had the equipment. And even against my own pride, I had to call the fire department. Now, let me ask you something, though. We know that it is the Spirit of God that actually brings us to the point of believing. It is the Spirit of God that leads us to truth that leads us to our faith. It is the Spirit of God that convicts and reveals the truth to us. Do you think that God would bring us to that point and say, okay, I got you here. You're on your own now. I got you this far. Here's my list for you. I don't think so. I don't think so. And as easy as it is for me to stand up here and tell you that from a Sunday morning sermon, I'm so guilty of it. I'm so guilty of taking over on my own. In fact, I'm so guilty of it, I've even termed a phrase for it because I've seen that in hindsight, 
I see where God has led me into an area. God has led me into something. And so I said, okay, yeah, and I'll take it and I'll run with it. And I'll start doing it on my own accord, in my own thinking, in my own mind. And all of a sudden, bam, God will snap me back. I call it God's bungee cord for me. Because he'll snap me back to him. And it's almost as if I look on his face and I can see this expression where he's saying, why are you trying so hard to do this without me? In Ephesians 6, we're told that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Does it make any sense whatsoever that God would expect us to engage in battles in the spiritual and the heavenlies with our limited physical resources? I don't think so. In fact, I know so. He has given us everything we need. Everything we need. And now it's a matter of learning to tap into that. You know, I, I believe that the... Um, I really believe that the Spirit of God is at work all around us. In fact, I believe that miracles are happening around them. The, the divine intervention... Sometimes we just fail to see it. Sometimes we just do not recognize it because that's not where we're trained. That's not where our focus is. What's our normal response to anything? My understanding of it. Here's what I can do about it. Nothing wrong with that. That's how we're brought up. That's how we're trained. But there's so much more. It's almost like fighting a 100-acre fire with a shovel when the fire department's three minutes away. Sometimes I think our entire grasp of the Holy Spirit is like Frankie and Bobby's. Frankie and Bobby, two little boys. They were good friends. They played together all the time. They had a little puppy, and they loved that puppy. But the puppy died. So they said, now, we've got to give this puppy a proper burial. And so they went out back. They dug a hole. And the two boys are standing there going, we got to say some words. And Bobby says, well, what do I say? And they think for a minute. Frankie goes, say what they said at your Uncle Joe's funeral a couple weeks ago. So Bobby grabs the puppy. <laughs> Forgive me for this. But Bobby grabs the puppy, holds him by the tail, stands over the hole, says, in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the Holy Ghost. And buries <laughs> but sometimes I think <laughs> sometimes I think that's the extent of how we understand the Holy Spirit. I'm glad you guys are awake. The Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, what is it? What is it? Is it some, is it a person? Is it some mysterious force that acts like the wind? I'd have to say yes to both of those. Because, you know, we know a lot. We know a lot. We have all of scripture. We have all of history. We have the time. 
We have theologians that have taught us everything. We know so much about God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit, don't we? But what we know is tiny in comparison to what is. There is absolutely no way in the world that our finite minds can wrap our arms around and conceive of an infinite God. There is so much more to him than we can grasp here on earth. And in that sense, yes, sometimes the Spirit of God is a mysterious force that we can't comprehend and don't know. And is it a person? Yes. Is he a person? Yes. In the sense that by using the word person, we mean any, um, any entity, any, any substance that can do personal things, like talk, <laughs> like respond in a personal relationship, like have emotions. We know that God is an intimate God. We know that God knows us in an intimate way. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knew you before you were formed. And likewise, so is the Spirit of God that knows us even deeper than ourselves. In Romans, uh, Romans 8, 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Spirit of God knows us better than we know ourselves. And in that sense, yes, he is a person. And if he's a person, doesn't it make sense to nurture a relationship between him and you? What's the spirit do? What's the spirit really about, you know? I know you guys thought, he's going to talk about going out and doing missions work and all this stuff. Being our witnesses to the ends of the earth. I haven't gotten there yet. Actually, in studying for this, it just came to mind that if there's one thing, if I could title this sermon, and I guess I can because it's my sermon, I'd just call it Get to Know the Spirit. Just get to know the Spirit. Because we spend a lot of time and effort getting to know God and, and Jesus Christ. And that's all good stuff. Nothing wrong with that. It's great stuff. But don't let, leave the Spirit behind. You know what the Spirit does? This is a very inconclusive list. In fact, when you read Scripture, you know the Spirit of God is mentioned in the verse 2 of the Bible? And it's mentioned throughout the entire Bible all the way through Revelations. And the Spirit's done some really weird stuff, if you look at it. But what is the Spirit about for us? Here's a few things. These are all based on reference. These aren't my thoughts. These all have a, a scripture reference. The Spirit guides us into all truth. The Spirit convicts of sin, of righteousness and judgment. The Spirit regenerates us. The Spirit glorifies and testifies of Christ. The Spirit revi- reveals Christ to us and in us. It leads us, it sanctifies us, it empowers us, it feels us, it teaches us to pray. It bears witness in us that we are the children of God. The Spirit produces in us the fruit or the evidence of his work. 
The Spirit anoints us from ministry. The Spirit washes and renews us. It's the Spirit that brings unity and oneness to the body of Christ. The Spirit seals us until the day of redemption. The Spirit sets us free from the law of sin and death. It quickens our mortal bodies. It reveals the deep things of God to us. It reveals what has been given to us from God. It dwells in us. It speaks to, in, and through us. It brings liberty. It brings freedom. It transforms us into the image of Christ. It's the Spirit within us that cries, Abba, Father. The Spirit enables us to wait. The Spirit supplies us with Christ, grants everlasting life, gives us access to God the Father, reveals the mystery of God to us, strengthens our spirit, enables us to obey the truth, enables us to know that Jesus abides in us. The Spirit bears witness to the truth in our conscience. The Spirit teaches us, gives us joy, enables us, moves us, heals us, casts out demons, knows the things of God, comforts us. That's just a partial list. Why would we not tap into this? Why would we not learn to understand more and more about this gift that God has for us today, for now? I want to read you something. This is from my daughter. In her last blog, she's in Africa. Most of you know. She's on a nine-month mission trip to three different continents. And this is part of her last blog. God has been showing me so much here. One of them being that I never want to get used to the gifts that God gives us. This is my daughter. I want to stand breathless at every sunset, at every good smell that comes from the kitchen, under the stars and the children that smile, at the strength of mothers I see on the street. And the list goes on forever. God has given us eyes to see color and texture and depth. He has given us ears to hear music that is vibrant and rich. He gives us hearts to delight in what delights his. In that light, God has been showing me about freedom. God is so big, so good, so faithful. One part of freedom rests in the fact that when I choose Jesus, I choose to try and see the world the way he does. In that sense, I can be set free from the things of this world that hinder or bind. I no longer have to hold on to comparison Judgment, jealousy, even exaggeration. I am set free from those things. I get to live in the assurance of my creator. However, I'm not perfect at this. I'm just not. I don't want to replace freedom with perfection. So we will let God's grace be something we daily grasp. Something my amazing sisters taught me a while back was to never settle for less. God has brought that lesson back to mind recently. He has been showing me how he created so much beauty. It's like God has the perfect blend of colors to make the perfect masterpiece. But because of the sin in this world, it's like dipping the paint in really dirty water. It changes the original color just by the slightest. The perfect color that God had in mind is now changed just by the slightest, but it isn't as good as it could have been. Are you picking up what I'm throwing down? (laughs) Sometimes we let sin take away from that perfect color and take away from the complete beauty that our creator had originally intended it to be. When I say I want to go big, I mean it. So why would I want to continue to live in a life that daily settles for less? 
And I love her comments that she never wants to take for granted the gifts God has available for us. The Spirit of God is a mighty, mighty gift that God has available for us. And I love what she says about freedom because the Spirit sets us free. But I really, really love (laughs) what she says about not settling for less. Because we settle for less when we go about thinking that we have to deal with it all ourselves. Yet God's design all along is that he has given us a comforter, an advocate, a helper, a teacher, an enabler. And not tapping into that is like fighting a 100-acre fire with a shovel and not calling the fire department. Luke eleven thirteen. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Let's pray. Father, we're asking... Show us, teach us more of the gift of your spirit for us. That we might be empowered to be. We're asking, Father. And in your name we ask. Amen. Amen. Thanks, you guys. Have an awesome Sunday.